Oh, and if your cat wants to join us, I think that would that'd be fine. You know, we're a community, family friendly, um, so. you know, podcast. <laughs> so, uh, so Willie, I want to ask you really quickly. disruptor i'm always bringing you ill-advised actions as we kind of move into this but yes it is me your 2021 colorado teacher of the year um someone said i was in a conference uh, this morning and someone said uh that they are the forever 2019 teacher of the year i'm like yo this is forever it's amazing um, but welcome to Habitually Disruptive, uh, hosting conversations of critical consciousness, both within and without the educational system. Um, as as uh, somebody really smart said, I think it was Einstein said, never let, uh, let, never let school get in the way of your education. And uh, that's what we do here. We are always trying to learn. If you are accessing us, you are accessing us through the Two Dope Teachers in a Mic podcast feed. Habitually Disruptive is a Two Dope production along with the flagship show with Kevin Adams, as well as the exit interview with Asia Lyons, which documents the stories of black teachers forced out of the classroom and what they are doing now. Uh, so yeah, if you're interested in supporting Two Dope Teachers, we are on Patreon um, at Two Dope, Two Dope, wait, what is it? Patreon.com slash Two Dope Teachers. You can find us for, uh, for $15 a month. You can get a sticker. It's amazing. But you know what, folks? It's not about the it's not about the swag that you get. It's about supporting people of color, grassroots people's content out here. Got some super exciting uh, episodes coming your way soon. Uh, we will have National Teacher of the Year from 2021, Juliano Ortube, uh, to chop it up with us. We were we we had her on before she was National Teacher of the Year. We're gonna hear her thoughts and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you are new to the show, check us out on social media. We are at Two Dope Teachers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So um, so y'all, what's good? What is good? I hope you enjoyed um, my conversation with Gina Nelson uh, last week. It was terrific. And um, hopefully you are getting some ideas of stepping into your power as we move through these very uncertain times. And uh, man, this summer has been wild. Um, Kevin and I are working on the mixtape and uh, getting things in front of you. And, you know, there's so many layers to everything that's happening right now. And there's so many human stories that we need to bring to you. And um, so in the spirit of that, it is... Um, it is humbling to me. I, I am, I don't know if excited is the word because some of the meat of this conversation will be, uh, will be, you know, some hard truth um, that our LGBTQIA plus uh, family all over the country is facing in, in the classroom, both as teachers and students. The, these are the things that um, are important conversations and really, really critical. We'll have a little bit of fun also because I have a super fun guest. Uh, so I want to take this moment and welcome Willie Carver, 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year. I have a really important question for you. What is good? What is good? Um, the kids are great. The kids are great. Uh, the kids are going to 
fix these issues. Uh, the kids are resilient. Um, the kids still have hope when, frankly, uh, they don't have evidence for it. What is that then? Faith? The kids That's have wild. faith. I have wow. I've I've said that exact phrase uh, in the past, and I think I think that um, I think you're spot on with that. So, um, so Willie's been on a roller coaster of a of a career these last few months. Um, 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year. Congratulations. Um, also, um, a a teacher who has been who is openly gay in his community, and um, and as we know. Um, there's some real nasty stuff happening around that. So just really excited to have you on the show, Willie. Thank you for, um, for agreeing to share your story with our audience. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very honored to be here. Yeah, man, this is a good time. Yeah. Um, that 2022 cohort, y'all are amazing. Um, almost as amazing as 2021. Like, and that's, that's saying something right there. (laughs) Might have surpassed you. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Hurt hurt alone, uh, might carry this cohort. He's something else. And, you know, the more I've had a chance to connect with members of your cohort, um, the more impressed and just inspired I am. Um, whether it's, you know, Autumn, who was our first finalist in 18 years, uh, or, you know, ha- I've had a chance to just connect with a lot of really dope people in your cohort. So, um, so it's great. There's room, room for all of our greatness, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, let's kind of get into it a little bit. Um, the first question, the first thing I'm always really interested to learn um, about teachers, particularly teachers who come from marginalized and minoritized communities, is what brought you into teaching? Like this is not a system that serves some of us who um, exist on the margins and who are forced to the margins. Um, what is it that made you want to become a teacher? It, it, it is interesting. One of the first words my husband had to learn when he met me was the word Appalachian. Um, <laughs> Appalachian. I don't, like, I don't like doing the you know Olympics of what is more difficult, but I sure. will say my, for me as an Appalachian, um, thinking that I had a place in America, it was much harder than it was for me as a gay person, even a gay person in the rural oh, interesting. South. Interesting. Um, because there, there's no spot, like, at least as a gay person, even as a kid, there was some television, right? Saying sure. there was someone out in Hollywood saying you're worthy, you're worthwhile. There's mm-hmm. no one for Appalachians. They were just mocking oh, us. So interesting. Yeah. Um, so school, I, I grew up with a lot of poverty, a lot of drug abuse. Um, I have 156 first cousins. I was the first to go to college. Wow. Um, and I don't want to, well, I'm really careful. I don't want to ever paint it as if my parents weren't hardworking because they were, but absolutely the <laughs> intended hardest working people will find themselves in spots they can't control. And yeah. so there were times without electricity. There was times without food. Um, school was a place of security. I knew going into the building that there were people who cared about me and loved me and who could connect me to the resources I needed. And sometimes those resources uh, you know, revolved around learning. Sometimes it was literally shoes and clothing. Um, so whatever the darkness around me, I knew I could go to school and it would be a positive place. So that's what it always kind of meant to me, even though I wasn't the best student, um, by my not being the best student was really not checking the boxes or fitting the system. It was never a lack of appreciation, um, whether the teachers or the content. Yeah. Um, Wow. So that that's uh, there's so many so many thoughts in my mind as you uh, share this. 
Um, one of them is the layered nature of our identities, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the the poverty that you grew up in and the struggles that you were a part of and that you witnessed, I think that's real. I really also appreciate you um, really, there, we have a tendency to pathologize certain identities. We tend to um, pathologize rural whiteness. We tend to pathologize poverty as if living in poverty somehow means a poverty of morality and a, and a poverty of, um, of humanness. And, and that's not what it is at all. And I, I just really appreciate you uh, illuminating that. So 156 first cousins. Um, Brown, at some point in my life, I counted that many. Uh, <laughs> each that's of my amazing. parents siblings uh well you gotta so. have a lot of kids like you know like in my neighborhood they used to say give yourself a chance <laughs> like, <laughs> play the numbers it's gonna be okay um yes. so what was it that uh, ultimately led to you being the first to go to college uh, quite literally uh so the i had a, a sort of intervention of teachers who were like you're smart um my junior <laughs> it was the beginning of my junior year um and it had and they asked about college well it had never even occurred to me wow um, so this is when they sort of like they literally took the time to explain that scholarships existed and grants existed, never knew about these things. Um, and so that sort of made me feel like it was something that belonged to me because someone literally looked at me and said, this belongs to you. Had that not happened, I would not have gone. Wow. And then I had a French teacher. Uh, she came from New, um, from New Orleans specifically, sort of showed up mid-year uh, <laughs> on a motorcycle. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, that's amazing. What an entrance. <laughs> oh, this like large, tattooed Mormon woman. Like, I, I did not know what it So I dropped chemistry and physics. I took French <laughs> twice a day. Um, argue with a guidance counselor who was like, you need a full year of science. So I'm like, year chemistry, year physics, that's a year. You're like, have you seen her? Have you yeah. seen her? <laughs> and you know, she, she spoke of being in beautiful places. She had posters of beautiful places. And it took me a long time to realize I was already in a beautiful place. At that time in my life, I didn't see it. At that time, I, I saw garbage on the side of the road. At that time, I saw suffering. And so I used to sit in class and there was a goofy scholastic poster of some like kids sitting in front of the cafe and I kept saying to myself if you work hard enough if you really like maybe you can be there like maybe you can be somewhere beautiful someday wow. um, and that was the inspiration for all of it just it's beautiful finding oh, beauty. and the great thing about finding beauty is it's a, it's not an exercise in discovery it's an exercise in skill once you know how to find beauty you can find more of it um, and that's been the story of my life. I have developed the skill to look and see the beautiful. And I'm so thankful to that French teacher um, for that. Yeah, that, that's, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. I, I first heard the phrase, everyone's story has a teacher from uh, my friend, Sarah Weifels, the 21 uh, Arizona teacher of the year, uh, shout out Sarazona. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and that, is such an important piece. And here you've got this teacher that just made this incredible impact on you. Um, so, so how would you, and you know, I wanna, I wanna have you talk a little bit about your, um, about the achievement of 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year. That's so dope. But before we get into that, um, how would you, so who do you teach? And like what, what grade levels um, did you teach? And then um, how'd you characterize your, your work with with kids 
Um, so for the last decade and a half, decade or so, it's, I've taught at a high school. So it's been ninth grade through dual credit seniors. So I was also teaching college level courses. I could never choose one between French and English. Two, I'm really defensive about um, making sure these kids get every opportunity, especially knowing how expensive college is. So yeah. I just decided I'll go do the certification. It will not change my pay grade. It will do nothing for me. But I did what I needed to do so that I could also offer um, college English as a dual credit yeah, instructor. Absolutely. So I've taught everything imaginable, um, <laughs> like pushing for advanced level French courses and the 200 and 300 level for college. Um, and it's, it's been difficult um, as the first year I was here, an administrator realized I was openly gay which is also a weird expression. We have to have a word for it because we live in such a shitty society. Man, um, you are, yeah. My husband and I love to call people openly British, openly California. <laughs> you know, openly uh, British, that takes a lot of courage, like uh, to yeah. openly admit that you're British. <laughs> um, so um, anyway, she was like, you'll be, cruci you'll be crucified. No one will protect you, including me. And, and it was my first year teaching with my license and you have to have administrators sign off that year or else you don't get your license. It's sort of like a provisional uh, circumstance. So the short of it is I had to be positive. Um, things shifted, administrators shifted. Um, I moved to Vermont to get away from homophobia and then was told to come back. We, we miss you. We made a mistake. We've replaced that principle. Um, but so that aspect of it, dealing with the adults in the room yeah. um, has been painful, but the children are great. These are kids who live in a small town in rural Kentucky, and there is no limit to what they've been able to accomplish. My, we take a we take a test in French at the end of two took a test at the end of uh, the second year. Ninety three percent of my students were um, testing exactly where they would be in their second year of college. So, and, and they were getting credit for that. My um, English courses, um, my students were twenty percent above level compared to the on-campus students who were actual college students and not high wow. school students. Yeah. And what I can say is it is not a testament to any skill I have in these areas. It is a testament to looking the way I see teaching. I look at anyone and it doesn't have to be in the classroom. If I'm walking through Kroger, it happens. It is innate. I look at someone and I think, what potential do you have? Where could you go? What could you be? And I just see myself as like morally obligated to help you get there. And so that's sort of been what I've done for the last 10 years. And that's that's morphed into work on the community itself and on the culture. And that's, uh, I've, I've led a GSA of, at our height, we have 40 kids. Wow. Um, and again, in a school of 1200, uh, what I'm most proud of is that the better things got, the uh, smaller that group became because students didn't feel the need for it, um, wow. which makes me seemingly happy. Yeah. Yeah. That that's um, yeah, that that's that's a a guiding light that I think it took me a while to find as a as a teacher. I think I think that when I came into teaching, you know, kind of growing up witnessing cycles of violence and things, not in my family, um, but but definitely like 
you know, my parents were impacted by, by toxic and traumatic systems around them. Um, but the neighborhood especially, and, um, you know, I would, I would, I would react in fear with my mm -hmm. students, fear of what's going to happen to you. If you don't get this concept, fear of what people are going to do to you if, and, and I had to, I had to unlearn that a little yeah. bit. I had to learn yeah. that, you know, nah, you are exactly who you're supposed to be. And yeah. I'm going to help you find every little tiny, beautiful thing about you so that you can um, thrive. And so that I, I love how you describe it. Um, you know, just, you know, really just seeing everybody is having potential to, to do whatever they want. It, it is a hard lesson. Um, it's because the fear is a, it's a love-based fear. Um, yeah. And it took a student saying it to me. She said, do you think we're all just soon to be drug dealers and drug users? And I, I was literally shocked because it's not how I sense them. I see them as potential. And I was like, what is this? Why would you say this? And she said, you know, we could be learning commas. And before we know it, you're always going into these stories about people who didn't make it and people who failed. And I know that I project the people I loved as a child, um, the, the classmates and the cousins whose lives are so miserable. I project that onto my students. It's almost like I'm trying to undo or shift that current, right? But we have to be really careful with the messaging we're giving kids. And so you really have to, fear has armor, love has none. Um, so you have to get them to be willing to walk without armor. Right. And I don't think I took my armor off until I was, I don't think I've fully taken it off yet. No, I mean that, you know, and for reasons that we'll kind of get into this, like we, we do need some, um, some armor in this world. No, I, I just found that really affirming because you know how it is when you're, when you're a teacher that maybe thinks a little bit differently from others, not better, not, you know, anything like that. I've, I've never seen myself as a, as like a better teacher than other teachers in my building, in my district, um, but just different. And when, when you think about things in a different way, it's just always so affirming to, to hear folks say things that you believe in and you've never given voice to. So I just really appreciate that. Um, so uh, unsurprisingly, this disposition that you bring to the classroom and this love you bring to kids uh, leads to you being named 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year. And, you know, from conversations with my friend Donnie Piercy, your predecessor, um, it, the, it's kind of a process there. Like here in Colorado, we're just chilling out here in the desert and we're like, who applied? Okay, uh, let's interview them, <laughs> right? Um, so it's quite a process. So just take me through it. What, what was that experience like? I'm, I, could, I could just start on the back end and talk about this process because now I'm helping look at the next years so there's the 2000 applicants and like the 40 prejudges who have to use this complex rubric did you say 2000 applicants 2000 applicants wow um, so the process for me uh, i had never thought about it um for uh, because in my mind whatever teacher of the year is this is what uh teachers who live in lexington or louisville the two only cities uh, are going to get <laughs> uh, not for for the likes of me uh, and, but I, I got a notification that I'd been recommended so I was like oh yeah they're going to choose a big gay Appalachian for that <laughs> so, 
one of my students was like, well, you know, you're always telling us that we, an LGBTQ student as well, um, said, you're always telling us to try things uh, and not to let uh, who we are stop us. So like, you should at least fill it out. And so I was like, okay, I will honor the student. I'm going to fill this out, but I will fill it out as only a gay Appalachian would. So I was. Oh, I love it. Full force. I'm not going to check for grammar. I'm not going to write this in essay format. I will try to impress no one. I'm just going going to write this as I am Um, thinking I could hit submit and look my kids in the face. Right. Uh, So that was kind of the goal. And it was months later when I get this email that's like, you've been selected as a, I think it read like a Valvoline winner. And I was like, delete (laughs) that. That's spam. You're like, cool. I want some oil. (laughs) Yeah. And they wanted my my social in case I won. And I'm like, no. I deleted it about five times <laughs> and I finally get a call from someone at the department of education. Um, and I was like, yeah, this sounds not legitimate. And so <laughs> I literally made them show me a website where I could find a phone number to call them. Cause I didn't believe. Yeah. You're all. like, stop. No. How'd you get my information? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened to happen. They just send me a link to a website so that I could see it and then call uh, the number on there. But long story short, um, went from the top 20 to the top 10. And the whole time I kept thinking, none of this makes sense. Um, and then I won. And what's, what's weirdest about this, what to this day, I, I, it's still shocking. The things that our governor talked about, because he presented the award. Um, the fact that I wrote a, when, when COVID happened, my kids took the books. I knew they weren't coming back. My school is never going to buy textbooks. So um, I wrote two of them. I sat, I bubbled during COVID with the professor um, who's a friend and we wrote two 400 page textbooks. They're beautiful. They were going to be given away free. He talked about that. My school wouldn't let me give them to the kids. It was horrible. It was awful, ugly. Um, he talked about my work with LGBTQ students and groups, which again has been a point of pain because it's been so much effort for me to do basic work because of the pushback. He talked about all of these things that in my day-to-day are painful and he made them good. Um, so I was a blubbery mess uh, <laughs> when, when I was awarded. Um, and since then, I feel like that was a the first little quantum moment of a universe that has expanded of you are now living in two different realities simultaneously. Mm-hmm in a reality in which you are actively harassed, oppressed, and prevented from moving, and you are meeting the president and um, speaking to major news outlets pretty consistently and having people respond positively, Um, like this diaspora of one person. And it didn't make sense to me. um, And it was hard to reconcile those two realities. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been thinking about... um about this process of uh, what, what I'm tentatively calling cultural dismemberment that happens in professional spaces. And it sounds a lot like that's what you're sort of, there are parts of you that, um, that get cut off and left behind depending on where you are um, in order to um, persist. I, I love how, um, I, I love how you tied, you know, I think, I think if, if your um, year as teacher of the year has been one of this quantum, what what did you call it? This uh, it was. I don't remember. What it was. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. But it's just like, it's, it's a, this like quantum universe of, you know, yeah. connecting to these amazing people. I would say that 2021 is the, um, is the universe of madness. Um, you know, what my, my predecessor, uh, was the, was the pandemic teacher of the year. And I like to say that we were the pandemonium teacher of the year. Um, it was, it was a wild time. Um, so it sounds like what you're saying is that this, it was a deep honor. It was really humbling, but it sort of puts you into a space where you were experiencing things that were directly in contradiction to each other, celebrated Absolutely. in some spaces, vilified in other places for being exactly the same person. Mm-hmm. Yes. Powerful. Absolutely. So, so what we're going to do right now uh, is we're going to take a break. Um, you get to hear from some of our amazing sponsors, including Quetzal Education Consulting. And, um, and we will be back in a moment with Willie Carver. I want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Yo, what's up everyone? Gerardo Munoz. I am back. We are back. I'm back here on Habitually Disruptive with resident disruptor Willie Carver, 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year. So we talked a little bit about your your path um, to becoming a teacher, your path and experience as Kentucky Teacher of the Year, and this sort of, um, the, this, this, this contradiction in the way that you were experiencing yourself as a gay educator in in the the current climate. So on the one hand, you're experiencing um, being invited into national spaces. You're meeting the president. You're meeting movers and shakers in in national education. Um, and, but on the other hand, you're also experiencing hatred and um, and these things. So. Um, you uh, made a decision, and I'll, I'll have you say more about that, but you made a decision um, to leave teaching um, mm-hmm. as a result of the harassment that you experienced. Um, tell us a little bit about how homophobia and hate has, um, has cost the education mm-hmm. system a great teacher. Um, one, thank you. Um, two, I think it's so hard when I, when I try to explain what it looks like, I don't know if, if this will feel right to you. It's like if someone, it's like if I were talking to an extraterrestrial and they say, what, what do humans do? And I said, eat. And then they said, okay, what did you eat last week? Suddenly I, I have no ability to discuss, or what did you eat yeah. last year? Yeah. Um, it's so common that 
it, it's almost hard to pull up, but you know, yeah. what, what, what consistently happened um, and, and has happened with, for the last 10 years is that there's always been this culture of you can't do this. You can't talk about this. So my LGBTQ group, uh, you can't use this word on a sign. And I've always fought back. I've always said, absolutely. We're going to put the word gay on a sign. Um, and it's um, it takes a lot of energy to go into work every day and say, okay, now I have to go fight this fight. And now I have to go fight this fight where other teachers are just getting to be teachers. Right. Um, yeah. There's been, books pulled from rooms, um, little tiny, in seemingly insignificant things. Like I had a quiz with a Dolly Parton quote, kid you not, uh, that resulted in me having three separate meetings. Um, <laughs> students, um, a parent who suggested that I was anti-Christian um, resulted in four or five very serious meetings with multiple administrators that I was not even allowed to hear evidence about what was happening. And it's not just me, it's other teachers as well. Um, the, the, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not the only LGBTQ teacher, even in my department to resign um, this year. Yeah. Um, so it, there, there's, there's those sort of things directly correlated to being LGBTQ. And then there's things that aren't at all that I just don't understand. Like, I wrote a textbook and wanted to give it to my students and it was free. And I found outside funding and was told no for seven different reasons. Every single time I tried. Um, when I literally was at the White House, no one even discussed it. So there, there's always just been the thing where they're silencing um, people, administrators yelling at me that we are shoving gay stuff down people's throats um, and I've withstood it. Yeah. I think because at a certain point you get this feeling that things are the same everywhere, that somehow this is normal, that somehow you have to do this for the kids. Yeah. Um, the, everything sort of came to a head literally the day I arrived in DC, I had this, this vision of myself. Cause I got there a day early. I'm just going to go literally to get a massage and have like an entire day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and gonna I, do I, you. I, yeah. <laughs> And a queer colleague messaged me and said, I've been suspended. And so this is following um, another teacher in Eastern Kentucky who wrote a positive message. This is about a week later. After this teacher had written a positive message on the board, um, you are free to be yourself with me. You matter um, in colorful, beautiful ways um, as a message of affirmation for his kids. He was... Um, multiple death threats were made against him. He was suspended for it. Um, he was terrified. Um, the administration absolutely threw him under the bus and refused um, to communicate with him in any human way. That was sort of already weighing on me. And then I'm like, suspended for what? And it was over something absolutely silly, over using a cuss word in a private TikTok. Um, but this results in you're suspended for two weeks and you're not allowed to communicate with anyone in the district. Um, so I, I just had this moment where I realized I don't think I can go back into this. Um, and that, that was the first moment when the thought even crossed my mind. Um, it culminated in a single person in this community, um, whose name I don't even want to learn. So I don't know her name, um, who started, 
suggesting that because I have an LGBTQ group that I am a groomer, that I groom students. Um, she was doxing me. She was doxing former students, um, putting their Facebook images and profiles out. She was suggesting that former students were connecting my students to some sort of sex cult. All of it without wow. any evidence, completely insane. Because wow. um, clearly this is a, a disturbed person. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she also started going to board meetings. Um, I simply asked three separate times for my superintendent to respond. Um, and there are so many ways that that could have happened. I specifically said, I am literally afraid because the things that she was posting were being shared 60, 70 times. Um, I live in a very small town. That's a yeah. lot of years. Um, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm afraid. I know that my kids are afraid. Parents of kids who were LGBTQ were writing, asking him to please intervene, please do something. Um, and that intervention could literally have just been sharing something positive about the school. I'm sorry, about this LGBTQ group. Yeah. Um, there's a bass fishing club. I know this because every week the school pretty much shares something about the bass fishing club. But they've <laughs> never shared anything about my LGBTQ yeah. group ever. Yeah ever in uh, all the years that they've been there. Um, but no one was gonna protect those kids. No one was gonna protect those kids who were being doxxed. No one was gonna protect me. And it occurred to me, the levels of being thrown to the wolves, the extent to which teaching is now going to put me in danger and the extent to which I will not be um, protected. I will not be in any way helped. Um, is not really a livable situation. No. Um, and that's when I realized I have to leave. Um, and it was a painful, painful decision. Yeah. Um, because I know I'm leaving kids behind. Um, but at the same time, I, I know at some point I have to have some version of happiness. I, I know them seeing me depressed and stressed is certainly not the image I want them to see. Um, and that's a difficult one as well. What is reality, right? Uh, I want them to see me doing all these great things, but I also right. don't want young LGBTQ people to think that life is easy and to give them a false sense of hope. Yeah. We've talked a lot, but um, it's, it's, it's been very painful. And it was painful for the other teacher who resigned as well. Also a teacher who's been teaching for almost a decade. Um, but there, we, we just don't have support. Yeah. Um, Willie, thank you for sharing that that story um and just you know i i know that when you know when you tell these stories you you relive the the trauma you, you relive it it's like okay let me retrace my steps through all of all of this that happened and i just want to hold space for you and really acknowledge that 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 it's it's surrealist and um you know a lot, a lot of thoughts are like flying through my mind right now, right? Um, the lack of institutional will to defend gay children and adults. Um, yes. The inability to stand up. Mm -hmm. I mean, say something innocuous. Say something like, Willie Carver is a great teacher and he needs to be teaching children. and what he does outside of school is none of our business. Like say something soft like that. It would be fine. 
<laughs> or you know, these kids, what, what's, it's, it's an irrelevant detail that I don't even sometimes like to talk about, I think, unless I can do it with nuance, because I don't want to pretend as if having a gay straight alliance is a bad thing, because it's not. But right. this is what this is. So I had a club called the Happy Club. Um, <laughs> Happy club. <laughs> I loved it. Every club I've ever had is completely student run, because one, I'm yeah. tired <laughs> Two, they're going to have better ideas than I have anyway. So 100%. Always, always the caveat I tell kids, if this club exists, you do all the work other than when you have it, when you're inspired and you don't know how to do, how to connect, I will, I will help you work through that stuff. So some other kids were like, we really need something better. Happy club was just about injecting happiness. They're yeah. like, we need to work on the serious problems we have. So they invented this club called open light, um, which was about systemic change, which was about disruption. Wow. And, those kids probably the second year said it's obvious that most of us are LGBTQ and we have no safe place to be. Can we call this an LGBTQ affirming club? Can that be in the name? And I'm ashamed of the fact that the first year I said no, because I thought this is going to be so much trauma. <laughs> and I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. Um, and then after that, I said, yes, because, and, and what I do, what I know is, they get told no from everyone above me. I don't want to be a part of that. I never want to be a part of that. And that's the only time. I, so long story short, um, this club isn't a gay straight alliance and that we are, I am teaching them about sexualities or gender. It is literally a club that cleans parks. It is a club that raises money for homeless people. It is a club that petitions to have books about people of color. Um, it is entirely good and, and, and entirely functional in terms of making their community better and the idea that the school wouldn't even post something about that the the day that I asked them to please do something they were cleaning up a park um wow. that's what's frustrating um yeah. and to get to the idea of institutional support two stories really fast 17 years old working at McDonald's a man comes up I look pretty gay I didn't have the glasses on but <laughs> I read is pretty gay. By the way, uh, y'all y'all don't see this. We don't publish the video, but these glasses are fire. You can see them on on Willie's uh, on fa uh, Facebook page. Um, if you're lucky enough to be connected, these glasses are they're beautiful. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I, I wear it on my face for my students. Um, so the um, anyway, so this man comes up and I say, "How can I help you?" And he says, "I don't want to be helped by you." And then he points to two people in the back who also read as gay and says, and I don't want to be helped by them because I don't want AIDS. This was 2000. And yeah. I was sort of frozen because um, I was a kid, but yeah. right on the cusp of adulthood. And my manager comes up and says something along the lines of, sir, the issue isn't that you don't want to be served. The issue is we don't want to serve you. Please leave. Ooh. Um, shout out. Papa, yes. Shout out. Um, I was at Papa John's as a delivery driver in college. A coworker um, told me that he it must be painful that I share a name with my dad because he must be so ashamed um, and told me that it would have been better had I died. And then he brandished a knife and some weird, I don't threat um, and said, anyway, I go on a delivery. By the time I come back, my the management has already fired him, forced him out of the building and put an order that he couldn't come back in. This was 20 years ago. Yeah. And I had support. I had people who recognized right from wrong and were willing to stand up to it. Yeah. 
I was an adult in one of those situations. We now have an adult targeting children and the politics of this country prevent grown men from protecting those children because they're more afraid of Say politics. that. Say stuff. that. Say that's, I mean, exactly. And this notion that, you know, I believe Dr. King's quote about the arc of history bending towards justice, but, I, mm -hmm. but I, I'm, I've really started to disrupt in myself this notion of a prog progressivist view of history that things have always gotten better. And, and I, and I think that, I, I think the experiences that you outlined show that we don't really have evidence that it gets better. Maybe it just goes to its logical conclusion. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and that is the collapse of an entire Republic because we can't, we, we refuse to respect people's basic mm -hmm. humanity. Um, I was, have you, have you watched, uh, have you watched the man who fell to earth with uh the new one with Chiwetel Ejiofor and and all those so there's a great line in there where and there's no spoilers y'all don't get mad um where the extraterrestrial says to the human your religion is skin you wage war over skin you commit genocide over skin you destroy lives over skin and you know the 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 obvious references to racial identity, but when we talk mm -hmm. about people being comfortable in their own skin, I mean, we're mm -hmm. raging war. That's our religion. And, um, and these stories that you share are real. And, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go off for a minute and then I'll have you, um, share a little bit about what's next for you. I will express gratitude, um, for having this, this story out here, because I really do believe that, um, that telling stories saves lives. Um, mm -hmm. it's what we need. We need stories out there. We need to be able to tell stories regardless of whether we're shouting into the wind, regardless of whether it brings, uh, monsters out of the woodwork and, and this woman who came for you and your students is a monster um and you know and and i'm a little bit weary of the first when when a person with privilege or who is a part of the socially accepted mainstream um enacts hatred like this the first thing we say is that well you know um this is a person who has mental illness and there's and, and we and we don't address the hate that's there and i think the two ideas can live together um but this idea that lgbt teachers are groomers is the most offensive and disgusting thing i've heard come out of certain political camps and you know some of that has started to extend to the teaching profession in general like you'll see people like marjorie taylor green saying these things with no evidence and and um trying to paint an entire uh community of people as 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 these sex motivated perpetrators of violence mm -hmm. and um and it's disgusting and I, it would not like, it just kind of depends. It, it just like, like, I'm not surprised, but it amazes me that folks are willing to be on that side of history. Yeah. And that their, uh, their, their, their willingness to afford it any level of credibility um, is it, 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 it's in itself before anything even happens a problem. Something that really shocked me I spoke to a couple of different lawyers about what options I had in this particular moment um, against this woman. And this is the sad state of things. They both, independent of each other, gave me the same response, which is even though she is saying blatantly false things about you, the standard for libel 
is that the person is intentionally trying to harm you and knowingly and intentionally trying to harm you. Here's where it gets really messed up when you talk about Marjorie Taylor Greens, because those people can turn on the television and watch what they think is the news and hear candidates say these things, there is reasonable deniability. They can now say, I thought it was true that either all LGBTQ teachers or all teachers were groomers because I've heard it on the news. And he said, both of them said, this is likely a defendable approach. So the, the sickness is that by, by repeating the lies enough, they create a reality. Or at least they create a paradigm that structures our options, which is reality, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting with those words. Um, and I'm sitting with that. And, you know, I, I think that you know, if we're building, if we're truly building solidarity movements and, you know, I realize, you know, my, my positionality is this cis hetero dude, right. Um, it, it demands something of me and, um, demands something of us. And it's just so critically important that, that we also stand in solidarity, not because we get anything out of it, not because, well, they could come for us. I, I've, I've let go of that completely. You stand in solidarity with people because it's the right thing to do. You protect right. people's humanity because they deserve to be treated as humans, period. And, right. um, you know, the stuff with Roe v. Wade being overturned, again, I'm not I'm, I'm not pro-abortion because I want to go get people pregnant. I'm not pro-abortion because I have a daughter and I, you know, that's not why I'm, I'm pro-abortion and pro-women's right to access to life, potentially life-saving healthcare. It's just right. And, um, and, th and that's, a, that's a hard thing to see um, in the halls of power these days. Um, right, because power is so hell-bent on protecting itself. Um, and I don't know, I don't particularly like the phrase post-truth uh, society, but, you know, one of the, this year started the first day of school, our last academic year, with two separate administrators giving us this advice to the English department, nothing racial, nothing racial. <laughs> um, so I played the idiot and said, so like if a white person writes something, we should. Shouldn't we, read it we shouldn't teach before. that. We shouldn't teach about white yeah. people because whites, whites are race. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, the entire department ignored them, and we all insisted on um, uh, representing as much as humanly possible BIPOC people um, in the curriculum because we knew that we had to stand together and do it. Um, but again, in so many schools, if you don't have vocal people telling stories, vocal people fighting, um, then people are just going to completely erase. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, adults attacking children because yeah. yes, I live in a majority uh, white uh, environment where I might have two or three black students a year, but we don't read black voices because we have black students. We read black voices because their voices matter. And we read black mm. voices because our white students need to hear them. Yeah. Man, thank you so much for that. Um, I, you know, I, I think I try to, I try to think about what is all this for, right? Like all, all of this hell that you've been put through and that others like you have been put through and others like you who maybe haven't had the access to supports and haven't had the access to other opportunities. 
Um, I think about that a lot and, you know, what do we get out of this? And I think, you know, I, I have to think about the great, uh, you know, um, social justice organizer, Greg Jobin leads and his Ajitarte crew up in uh, Massachusetts, where um, they declare that when we fight, we win. And mm -hmm. even if we don't get the output uh, the outcome that we wanted, even if we suffer setbacks, even if every fight that we have gives us additional tools for the next fight, we learn from these things. And, um, and I think it's really powerful. Um, what's, what's next? Uh, you, you are going into higher education. Um, you're going to be doing some work there. Talk a little bit about your new role. What, what is that role going to be? One, I love that paradigm um, and completely agree. Uh, especially, especially I, I, I'm appreciative that you said people who are going through similar and worse things and who don't have access. It, what, what is, is my to that I want to try to get rid of? but I don't know that I'm ever going to. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I felt so guilty talking because I've seen so much worse. Um, things that I can't even share because the, per the people are afraid of me talking, especially things that are happening to LGBTQ teachers in Kentucky. Um, but I know that telling my story in some ways tells their story. Um, and, and that's the important. And, and that's sort of, that, that's what, we're, what we are learning from this is that most people are completely unaware of what happens because um, there's the schools or breeding grounds of liberalism and grooming or whatever people are saying when it's quite the opposite. Um, <laughs> so I think what, what we've gained from this is a lot of people learning something that they didn't know before. Yeah. Um, and what we've gained from this is a lot of outpouring of support um, for me and other LGBTQ teachers and some cool changes. Yeah. Um, so on the horizon, I'm working at uh, the University of Kentucky um, and work starting a PhD. Haven't even I, I, I applied to the school and was like, I don't know which program exactly I want because there's three or four. Uh, so I emailed all of them and said, you know, here's sort of the work I want to do. And the work I want to do, um, I think when we talk about microaggressions, microaggressions tend to work from the assumption and maybe someone out here will know what I'm talking about, but they work from the assumption that things are by and large um, unconscious. We say and do things that are sort of ingrained in us and those things cause pain. Yeah. But what I see are people manipulating the system, something like suspending a teacher for two weeks for saying the F word in an, a closed group. Yeah. yeah. Um, where it is obvious to all parties involved that an LGBTQ person or a person of color is clearly being targeted and everyone knows it and it's the open secret. So I yeah. want to develop language to talk about these things um, because one of the reasons that I think a lot of minoritized people can't as easily, especially in K through 12, defend themselves is they don't have the words to talk about the things that are happening. So I really want to look at the prevalence and ways of creating more language. Um, Love it. I'm so excited. Also, um, the, uh, I joined the American Federation of Teachers, uh, I think in December. I had always been in uh, our branch of NEA, yeah. but Randy Weingarten came to speak in Lexington, Kentucky. And um, I was sort of a, not miffed because I loved listening to her speak, <laughs> but I said, everything you're talking about is reaction. Can we not sue for students now? Do they not have the right? Um, I'm here, don't worry. <laughs> Uh, to see themselves in the curriculum and she's just like I like what you say and you're going to write this we're going to publish it I hope she never hears my impersonation ever <laughs> um, but she did she published it and 
she's so human and has invited me multiple to multiple events um, and has really checked up on me. So she invited me to be a part of the national task force that AFTA is doing for LGBTQ people. Um, and there's some money behind us. There's some power to actually enact policy behind us. Um, and I just at the meeting said, can I do this in Kentucky? Like just exactly what we're doing here, but I want to create a task force in Kentucky. And she was absolutely on board. Wow. So next step, uh, I'm hoping to develop that language and share that language with LGBTQ teachers to re create some flow charts. Like, is, are you being harassed? I think if, if you can show that you and another teacher had a similar experience with different outcomes and it's occurring multiple times, we can demonstrate harassment um, pretty easily. And we want, I want to empower teachers to understand they have a place. Yeah. They worthy of a role and there are ways to report administration that don't involve going to administration right i yeah. think we're, we're talking about ways to start at higher places especially if it's you know the superintendent or the principal yeah um but in the meantime i uh have i'm already working with students at the university of kentucky um what i love is they their phrasing is well resourced ah <laughs> yes well researched. <laughs> um, there, there must be forty-seven different groups just for student support. Um, they have sections of courses for specific um, minoritized identities, so that students can um, can relate to each other and in open and safe spaces. I and the way I sort of envision it, there's this train of progress. We'll we'll avoid the arc. Um, <laughs> oh, you can have the arc. It's fine. <laughs> you have to fuel itself. A train you have to imagine. A train you have to create. A train you have to work for. Yeah. And I feel like I've been at the back of this train dragging people as far as much as I could. And I'm excited to be near the engine. You know, uh, I'm excited to, to help lead it. And I think my experiences will help with that. Um, I think that can be one of the tools. I love that. And I, I would say that um, we don't know each other super well um, at this point as a first conversation, but I would say that I think um, you might very well be one of the engines. Uh, so, you know, think about it in those terms. Um, Willie Carver, 2022 uh, Kentucky Teacher of the Year. Um, it, it's just humbling to receive your story and um to be in a position to broadcast it um I, you know your experience along with others who've experienced similar things makes me think of uh the great lauren hill lyric um you might win some but you just lost one and um you know take that l education system and uh, maybe maybe try not to take so many l's um i, I want to end us on uh on a on a uh fun note um so we here on Habitually Disruptive know that people like things. Um, so I, I put the challenge to you to come up with your top five anything. So you can come up with a top five, a ranking of five things that you just like. It can be anything uh, random that you happen to like five of, um, or we, or I can throw some of the other options out there and you can tell me what you think. Oh, you've got to throw an option at me. Give me two passes. And if I try to pass twice, force me to do the third one. I'll All right. Very that. good. Very good. Okay. So, um, we talked a little bit about sports, Willie. Um, <laughs> And um, you said that it might be interesting to have you 
um, rank the top five sports that you're aware of um, <laughs> and what they entail. <laughs> do you want to do that one? Let's see. I'm going to try to imagine five sports I've had any experience with at all. <laughs> None of them will be playing because uh, I do not know sports. So I, I will I will just think of five sports and say experiences I've had with them. <laughs> okay, sounds um, good. <laughs> um, and then maybe there'll be some ranking. Yep. Um, and, and you don't have to rank it. You know, we're we're a decolonizing podcast, so we don't necessarily require hierarchies. It can just be like the the five that are in your head right now. Like that is totally fine. Five that are in my head. Uh, uh, football is always the first one I think of because um, someone invited me to a tailgate party once. I was <laughs> He's so like, Do I have that right tailgate? <laughs> I was so horrifically bored. I went to a dollar school. <laughs> Wait, you went where? You you were so bored. You went where? Near the parking lot where this tailgate was happening. And I'm like, people are tossing a sack back and forth and listening to the radio. Like the food is cool, but like, what is the show of this? Uh, (laughs) Dollar General. Uh, Oh, wow. Football is also number two because my my friend Carrie, um, as part of her custody agreement, um, had to let her baby's dad get visitation and she chose a football game so i went with her um yeah. as moral support so yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a football game That's i will two. say can, can i comment really quick i will say that tailgate tailgating has always been so random to me it's like so you sit and you eat in a parking lot like and and other people sit in the same parking lot outside mm-hmm. of the sporting why don't you just go in and eat there there's chairs i'm like we could be sitting inside we're <laughs> and having champagne and not whatever this is. You know, nothing again. I love, I actually really love cheap beer in the summer. Sure, um, sure. Absolutely. We all do. Yeah. Yes. Uh, let's see. Number three. Oh, the Kentucky Derby. Because <laughs> that's the way sports should happen. You get to eat at a buffet and drink. And then for exactly 60 seconds, ladies in fancy hats, and well-dressed men walk outside, watch horses run around, and then you go back in. Uh, <laughs> it is great. Time, it I've is never great. Bet on, never bet on a horse. <laughs> no, that's. What, I, I feel like you like they'll revoke your Kentucky citizenship if you aren't if you don't do something for the Derby. Am I wrong about that? You aren't very well. If you go to like the mountainy part of Eastern Kentucky, okay. uh, where the hillbillies are. Um, they don't much pay that, but they all have horses, but they don't much pay attention to the Derby. Right. Uh, but they don't, they don't put on the fabulous hats and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Although they, they will find a, they will drink on the day of. Uh, <laughs> hey, why not? <laughs> all right. So we got football, football, Kentucky Derby. Okay. That's three. Oh, uh, soccer. Yes. So, that's my game. <laughs> so, um, there, my school used to do an annual soccer match, French kid, French students against Spanish students. Oh, so, love it. The Spanish department was 12 times in the French department. Um, and those kids were brutally good at it. Um, and <laughs> usually chose Spanish because like they liked soccer or, or something. French I don't know if you know if we can engage in the stereotype of the kid who takes French, but it tends to be the boy who has an opinion on cashmere uh, <laughs> or girl who plays clarinet. <laughs> These are amazing. <laughs> the last year I remember doing it, we had one player of American football 
um, and three um, students who already spoke Spanish, um, who were um, who had just arrived uh, in in Kentucky. Okay. Um, countries who knew the game so like yes. this one football player and those three boys were yeah the big kid and some soccer players <laughs> yeah time to get the boys who liked cashmere not to sit down during the game <laughs> I, I didn't understand how the points worked but uh that's four beautiful uh, that's four that's four hockey um yes oh comment on hockey please <laughs> uh, you know i don't like violence at all but <laughs> <laughs> when I lived in Vermont, uh, I worked with uh, with kids who had behavior needs, and I love this this place I worked at, Howard Center. Uh, if anyone is ever wanting to move to Vermont, they're always hiring. Um, it is their goal to transition people into life there. But uh, they hire behavior interventionists, and it's a great job because you work with kids for whom school is not working traditionally. Um, and one of the cool things is you have a point system. The kids kind of earn points and they can spend them. So the kid I worked with never wanted to spend money. Um, he always wanted to either stomp in the mud, um, go break ice with his boots or watch hockey. So I did watch <laughs> hockey with him. Um, and because it mattered so much to him, it mattered to me through osmosis or something. But <laughs> For a moment, once, I sort of understood the thrill of watching someone smash into someone else. Oh, yeah. Um, scared me. Scared yeah, me. No, I was no, you're always afraid of, like, because they fly into each other. Mm -hmm. I've met, my daughter is a soccer player, and um, as we watched the Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup this year, you know, she was just marveling at the fact that skating has to be as natural as running. And she says, imagine playing a sport where you have to learn how to run. <laughs> That's so true. It's it's yeah. very it's very violent. Um, you know the old joke that oh, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Well, yeah. Well, what scared me wasn't the them like the physical fear that something would happen to me, but that I was enjoying watching this. Something like primal, right? <laughs> my experience with violence as a teacher is I don't know the one kid pummeling the other who doesn't want to be pummeled, but in this case, I'm like. You two have mutually agreed that you enjoy this and you're you're happy. So like I'm, it's like watching two out of lions fight or something. There it Long is. Long as you don't kill each other, uh, yep. I'm or, Yeah, exactly. I'm okay with it. It's okay. Sometimes you got to get it out. Uh, <laughs> Willie Carver, that's a fire top five. Um, so I feel like I feel like I could talk to you for hours. I would I would love to hear the top five most important things we need to understand about Appalachians. Um, I feel like we would need to like I just feel like I all oh, this is just to say that I want to have you back on at some point. Whenever um, you want, I would it would be my honor. Seriously. So amazing. Uh, folks, Willie Carver is the 2022, the forever 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, who is out here fighting for LGBTQIA plus students and communities as well as teachers. Um, Willie, how can people connect with you? Is there can they follow you on social media? Is there stuff like that? Sure. Um, Willie Edward Taylor Carver Jr. If you search that, you will find my Twitter um, or just Willie Carver. I think Twitter is one of the first things that happens. Um, and it's a weird name. So you'll find me on Facebook fast enough. There you go. And you know, Willie is a great Twitter presence, I have to say, as someone who follows him. Uh, Willie, thank you for being here on Habitually Disruptive and uh, looking forward to just continuing to learn your story and continuing learning ways to stand in solidarity with you and your community.
So thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you. It was an honor. Thank you.